Every day she turns a new page. What we invest in our kids will be passed on to theirs. Hey, good morning. Okay, so we're getting ready to do this series, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to go online, see if there are parenting aids, parenting helps that I didn't have available, you know, when I was trying to navigate this moment. And I actually found a few things that you may be uh, interested in this morning. Baby knee pads. Because every child has to, you know, learn how to crawl and navigate that moment. And now, uh, no more rug burns, you know, you just baby knee pads on them, and uh, they can get around with those. So I thought that was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, for kids learning to walk, you ready for this? Thud guard. Because no child should have to learn to walk without a helmet. Some of the staff was going around going, Lynn, you, as much as you trip and stumble around on the stage, you ought to do that. Every sermon, you ought to wear thud guard on your head. Some, some of you parents in the room right now, you're taking out pieces of paper, you're going, where, where can I get a thud guard for my kid? Uh, some, some of you in the room are going, are you kidding me? Kids need helmets to walk now? When I was a kid, I didn't need no helmet. I, I bet I fell a hundred times, hit my head every time. I know, I'm Okay. Yeah. You know, really, that, that visceral response, that, that kind of tension that comes in there, really, in many ways, kind of uh, delineates a, a difference in parenting philosophy. You, you get that there, that there are two pretty profoundly different styles in which we tend to tackle uh, parenting. And so, the question we want to kind of do together today is… Which one really is uh, more effective? And, and truth be told, there are some of us in this room that would uh, probably land on this side of parenting. We'll, we'll call this side of parenting kind of the, the isolationist side of parenting. You, you guys have all seen those little uh, kind of round rubber balls that they blow up with air, and then you can get inside, and you can be like a human hamster and run around inside the ball. So, so in your imagination, you just imagine that, that, that there's a child in here, and this is, this is hamster ball parenting. And, and the idea is, is that it, we're not going to let anything get in to our child. Uh, a lot of parents in, within this mode or style would say, Lynn, I, you get how bad the world's gotten? You get that, I mean, there are things that our children get exposed to today that, that, that you and I never, ever got exposed to when we were kids. I mean, I mean stop and think about what, what our children see on the Internet Think about some of the conversations that eight-year-olds have today. We didn't have those discussions till we were adults. Think how different it is right now to navigate childhood 
than it was when you and I, and so th this style of parent would say, look, my job is to create a safe place to be a kid. My, my job is, is, to, is to isolate my child from all of that darkness, all of that crud that is going on that, that I didn't, I mean, the truth be told, it was hard enough when I was growing up to land in a good place. So, so my, I, my responsibility is to protect and keep any of this from touching my child. And if I can just get them to adulthood with a minimized number of mistakes and, and not having to been overly exposed, if, if my kids can figure out the birds and the bees somewhere in Bible college, that would be good. Okay, so, and, and so there's this side that says, if I can just isolate my child from all the darkness, all the harm, all the temptations, all the yuck that's part of what life is right now. There, there's a second style of parenting that, that would say, well, I don't know that you can do that. I'm not, I'm not sure you can actually keep all of that out. And so there's some sense in which maybe you can't even try. So what if instead we, we were uh, going to try to insulate, not isolate, but insulate our kids? Because what this style of parenting would say is, look, I can't, I can't keep the storm from coming. I, I can't keep it from getting cold. But I can teach my kid to wear a jacket. I, I can find a way to insulate them in the midst of a yucky, cruddy world with all sorts of stuff that, man, if I had any choice, they'd never see. But since they probably are going to. And so the, the question comes today, uh, which one's right? I mean, I mean which, one, which one gets us where we want to get? Because... Truth be told, your and my responsibility isn't to raise children. Your and my land, the place that you and I are trying to go, is you and I are trying to raise the next generation of adults. And you get that that's a different assignment. See, your win, my win in parenting is that when we release, when, when we watch our young person go off into life, that you and I can sit there with a reasonable amount of confidence and say, I think, as best I understand, they can navigate an adult world and not be overwhelmed in it. And, and can I just terrify you for a moment? That if you and I are going to land that, if you and I are going to arrive at that destination, then you and I need to be shooting to probably have our children pretty well cooked, pretty well on their way to adulthood by the time they're 16. Because you get that by the time they're 16, think back to when you were there, they're pretty, the, the concrete is setting. You, you're not going to do a whole lot of shifting. Matter of fact, uh, George Barna huge guy and doing all sorts of analysis and surveys, said the average young person has completely decided their worldview. In other words, who is God? Who am I? How does this work? How does the world? By the time they're 13, they're done. They've already decided. So what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to land the next generation of adults? And, and what does it mean for our kids to be better than us. See, that's the win. I mean, how cool would it be for you and I to finish that journey of parenting and say, my kids, as they go out, they're better prepared. They're, they're more likely 
to be, to, to be who they need to be, to be God-honoring and God-fearing and make good than I was. What does it mean for our kids to be better than you and me? Now, for you and I to navigate with the conversation that we're going to have today, I, I, I want you to consider this. When Scripture talks about God's relationship to us, in other words, as you dig into this, every time you get into the Bible, God says, look, if, if you want to understand how I deal with you, how I work with you, what our relationship is like, God over and over and over again says, look, the, the clearest understanding, the, the closest you're going to get to what this is, is that I am your heavenly Father, and you are my children. Okay, so get the moment. God says, look, if, if you want to understand how you and I interact, if you want to understand how I treat you and why I do the things that I do in your life and why I respond to you the way that I respond to you, then you need to understand I'm responding to you like a father would respond. And, and if you want to understand your role and your responsibility and how you're to interact with me, then you need to understand how a child should respond to their parent. Does that make sense? We're okay so far? If that's the case, then isn't it true for you and I to say, then God parents us, and that the methodology, the things that God does in our lives, the way that God helps you and me grow up, the way that He teaches you and prepares you and I for life is actually God's parenting for you and me. And if that's the case, if that's true, what if you and I were simply to peek in and say, well, then how does God get you and I ready? How does God grow you and me up to be able to deal with and face what we have to face in life. What is God's parenting style like? So here's what we're going to do is I want us to just grab into three verses, three unique moments in which I think God reveals how He, as a father, parents you and me as children, and see if you and I can't glean some of the methodology, if we can't get, leave here going, oh my goodness, this is exactly what God does for us. This, this propels your and my parenting to a whole different place. Okay, three passages. So here we go. First passage. Go with me to John chapter 17. How does our Heavenly Father parent us as His children? John chapter 17. If you're not real familiar, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. You're going to find this book of John. John chapter 17. Okay, so as you're going there, let, let me, let's land the moment together. Jesus is getting ready to leave this world. And, and basically what he's saying is, look, I, I'm not going to be there every moment now. You, I, you realize I'm, I'm not, you're not going to be able to ask me the next question. I, I'm not going to be able to grab you at the last moment and pull you back. You're going to now have to do this on your own. I'm not going to be in the room, which is an interesting moment. Because as much as you and I would perhaps want to say, look, 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 I, I'm going to hover in my kid's life and I'm going I'm, I'm to safeguard every moment, you get, you can't be there every moment. There, there's going to be instances in your life where you're not in the room. See, they're going to be off at school. 
and they're going to be deciding on friends. And, and you're not going to be able to pull out your little notepad and interview Tommy. See, there's going to be instances when you've dropped them off at the movie theater and they're standing outside with their friends and their friends are going to say, hey, let's not go to the movie we told mom and dad about. Let's go to... And there's going to be moments within your children's life when you aren't in the room. And Jesus comes to that moment. He's, getting, he's praying. He's saying, look, look, God, I'm getting ready to leave the room. I'm getting ready to hand them off, hand off the disciples. It's an interesting moment when he prays because not only in that moment when Jesus prays does he pray for the 12, but he prays for every person who will ever become a believer after that, which means, or something cool, when he prays this prayer, he prays it for you, and he prays it for me. It's a really cool moment in which Jesus prayed for us. Okay, so it's John chapter 17. Here's what Jesus says in that moment. John chapter 17, starting in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, which is just another word for set them apart. Create some distance here. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. It's an interesting moment because think, think about what Jesus just prayed. Jesus said, look, 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 God, I'm not asking you to isolate them. I'm not asking you to mystically somehow take the disciples and take them out of the world so the world can never touch them again and they can never be. So I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to leave them in the world but I'm asking you to insulate them from the world. <laughs> I'm asking that not that you take the storm away, not that it never get cold or that it never get hard. I'm asking you to help them wear coats. It's an interesting moment. How does Jesus say that moment's going to happen? How, 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 what, what does he say to God? God, look, look if we're going to do this, if, if they're going to have to live this moment by themselves, if I can't be in the room, if I can't whisper in their ears, how are they going to live this moment? Go back to the passage real quickly. Start again at the very beginning, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to isolate them. I'm not asking that nothing bad ever happen, but that you protect them from the evil one, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Ready? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You, you get what Jesus just said. You want a coat? You, you want to figure out how to help our children be able to live in a fallen world that has all sorts of yuck? Let them know the Word of God. Let them, let them, let them understand Scripture. Because, because, are you ready for this? When you and I aren't in the room with our children, guess who is? The Holy Spirit. And guess what the Holy Spirit uses to convict the hearts 
of men and women, of our children. The Word of God. It's the most powerful tool that you can place in the hands of God on behalf of your children. See, there, there's going to come a moment with my 15-year-old daughter, your 15-year-old daughter, when she's in the backseat of a car with her boyfriend. And, and, and there was no plan to do anything. I mean, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. They were just going to make out a little bit. And then things get a little further than we thought. And hearts are pounding and breathing is getting a little. And in that moment, you want your daughter to remember 2 Timothy chapter 2. <laughs> which simply says, flee! <laughs> flee youthful lusts. And in that moment, in that moment of decision, in that moment when you and I aren't in the room, we're not in the back seat. You want the Holy Spirit to have all the freedom in the world to bring the Word of God to reality to our children. And in that moment, you want your child to ah! and jump out of the car and flee. Now, they're not going to get many dates that way. See, there's going to come a moment in the life of your sons, when someone's going to have just totally ticked them off, going to have broken the mail code, and he's going to begin to think of 15 ways he can beat the holy behoobers out of that other guy. And in that moment, you want God to have the privilege of bringing Scripture to their heart, which simply says, the fool gives full vent to his anger. See, you're not going to be in the room when your children pick all their friends. They're going to bring them home already having decided. And you want in that moment when they're deciding, am I going to hook up with you? Are we going to be connected? Are we going to be buds? Are we going to be friends? Psalm 1 that simply says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. See, the truth is, our kids are going to have to navigate life without you and me in the room. And Jesus just said one of the most powerful ways to insulate our kids, one of the most powerful ways in which to help our young people navigate those tougher moments of life when mom and dad aren't there is to give the gift of the Word of God, which simply then says, how are you doing? How are you doing? And some of us in the room go, well, Lynn, that's your job. That's why I bring them to church. I mean, come on. So let's do a reality check. You get that if you bring your child to church every single Sunday, every single Sunday, and, and you're, you're, you're pretty faithful, don't miss very often, 
that at the very best over in that building, we spend about 35 minutes in the Bible with your kids. I mean, you've got songs and check-in and everything. About 35 minutes in the Bible. Do you realize that if you take an entire year, add that up, it comes to about the equivalent of one week in public school. That's about how much time your kids have spent in the Bible here. What do you think the chances are of your child navigating third grade if they only attended one week? You realize if you took your child from the time they were born and in the nursery all the way till the time they're 18 years old and you've got pretty good attendance that entire time, you add all that time together, you realize that at the end of the day you'll end up with about one semester, one semester in the Bible. And the answer at the end, guys, guys, it's just not enough. It's just not enough, which is why we have other programs that happen other nights. But at the end of the day, guys, 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 if your kids are going to know the Word of God, if it's going to be in their lives, it's going to take mom and dad to land it. it it's going to have to happen at home. So, so let me ask you, how are we doing? I had a parent who said, hey, you know, what we've been doing is we give our kids Monopoly money. We say, look, if you'll memorize a verse, then we'll give you 10 Monopoly dollars because Monopoly dollars are free. And we'll give you 10 Monopoly dollars. And then they have like a menu hung up in their home. And if you get 40 Monopoly dollars, then you get to choose where we go on family night next week. You can cash in, you know, your 40 Monopoly dollars because you memorize four verses and then you get to do that. You earn privileges by getting into God's Word. Had, and their family said, you know, you know, what we do is just when we sit down to do a meal together, one time, one time every week, we just read a little couple of passages of Scripture. It's just our way of saying the Word of God's important. What if, what if mom and dad said, look, my kids are young and they don't necessarily read and wouldn't have this, so we'll just get one of those little story Bibles and one night of the week mom will read it and one night of the week dad will, I mean, that'd be two nights a week that our kids would be getting in the Word. Jesus, you get this. Jesus just said, when we're not in the room, the best insulation that our kids know the Word of God. Now, here's I'm not saying to you that if your kids simply know the Bible, they're okay, because the reality is you've got to know it and then you've got to live it. But the other issue is you can't live it if you don't know it. Second principle, second moment that you and I. Take a look at how God parents you and me. So go to the book of James. It's going to be a little bit to the right in your Bible. This one maybe it would be a little surprising for some of us here. So keep going to the back. It's the book of James. If you get all the way to the maps, you've gone too far. You've gone to the wrong book of the Bible and come back. James chapter 1. Okay, so get this moment as we talk about this passage. Some of you may be familiar with it. You get the God saying, look, okay, as your heavenly Father, as you are my children, here's what I do. This is, this is what I do in parenting. In your, this is how I respond to you as my children. James chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what he says. Consider it pure joy. Okay? This is good for you. This is positive for you. You may not necessarily like it, but you need it. This is, you ready? This is vegetables on the plate. 
okay? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, that you may be, you ready, grown up and complete, not lacking anything. So you get the moment. God says, look, look, here's what you need to know. On purpose, as I am parenting you, as I am teaching you as my children, I allow tough times. I, I allow trials to come into your life. Because, because you ready for this? Because teaching you what you need to learn next trumps being safe. Now, guys, this is, this is interesting for us because some of us, some of us have been deeply frustrated with God over this very issue. We said, wait, wait a minute. When I became your child, when I became a Christian, I thought you were going to put me in a spiritual bubble. I thought you were going to make sure that nothing bad ever happened to me again once I became a believer. And God says, no, no, no. That's not, that's not how I parent. The truth is, I, I willingly allow hard times. Because, you ready? There are some things that you need to learn that you will never learn in a bubble. See, there are lessons about life, and there's some growing up that you need to do, and you won't learn that being safe. Isn't that interesting? I've got a dear friend, his name is Bill Bush. He's actually a pastor of uh, one of the churches just down the road a little ways, and he was telling me this story about his son Micah learning to swim, and he'd signed Micah up and sent him to all the lessons. They get to the end of the lessons, and Micah doesn't swim. So he goes in, he goes, hey, uh, you know, I paid pretty good money. He's been to all the lessons. I've, you know, my son doesn't swim. My son, I'm not getting it. To which the swimming instructor said to Bill, your son can swim. He just doesn't want to. He's, he's terrified of actually getting out in the pool. But we've, we've been there. We've held him, and he, he, he does the stroke right. He kicks his feet right. But you put him in the water, and all he wants to do is hang on the edge. And he refuses to swim. If, my fr- if you knew my friend Bill, you'd understand the next moment this is about to happen. Uh, Bill decided to do fathering extreme. And, and so he knelt down in front of little Micah. And here's what he said. He said, Micah, what, what I'm about to do, you will not understand. There's a good chance that somewhere in your future, you will be in counseling because of what I'm about to do. He then picked up Micah and tossed him in the deep end. (laughs) Bill said, it was remarkable. In mere moments, my little non-swimmer son transformed into Michael Phelps. (laughs) He, He made it to the edge quicker than any other kid in the whole class. Got out of the pool, looked up at dad, Tromped off toward the house. Mom! At that moment, Bill thought to himself, oh, I could be in trouble. So he followed Micah in the house. 
to hear what he was going to say to mom. And Micah got inside to his mom and goes, Mom, guess what? I swam. (laughs) See, the truth is, there are some lessons your kids will never learn hanging on to the edge of the pool. And there are going to be moments in your kids' lives where they're going to decide they're the parent and they don't want to learn that lesson yet. And you're not going to make them. When Bill told the story, I said, dude, that's, that's harsh. I mean, you know, I didn't tell you his son was 18. No, I'm too <laughs> I said, dude, that's harsh. Here's what Bill, Bill smiled at me. He said, Lynn, I was there the whole time. He wasn't going to drown. I mean, he may not have been thinking about that moment. He may have been a little mad at me. He was never in danger because Dad was there. Isn't that an interesting moment? If you think about it, Haven't there been moments in your life when your heavenly father tossed you in the deep end? Said, no, 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 no. You're not going to hang on the edge anymore. We're going to learn this. And I know know you're not going to be very happy with me right now. And I know you're going to be a little frustrated with my parenting right now. But someday, knowing how to swim may save your life. See, there's moments, there's moments you and I as parents simply have to stop and say, this is what my kid needs next. And, and, and this isn't about me being their friend. This is about me preparing them for what's going to come. And I may have to stick my kid in the deep end. Because there may come a moment in their life where knowing how to swim saves them. Third verse, real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's going to be a little bit to the left in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, an interesting passage that you and I probably have seen before, but maybe never thought about in the context of God parenting us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, here's what God says. He says, look, 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 don't, don't get freaked out, don't get worried. There is no temptation that has seized you except is common to man. Look, look, I am. I'm going to allow you to get into tough moments. I'm going to allow there to be moments when you're tempted to do, I'm, I'm going to let that happen. You just need to know that I'm not letting anything happen that's not normal. This is what, this is life. Accept that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And and you get the moment. God's just saying, look, 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 look. I know where you are spiritually. I know what you can handle. So if, if I'm allowing this temptation, it's because I know, I know that in this moment with my, I know you can do this. So I'm not going to ask a baby Christian to get 10-year-old Christian temptation. I'm just not going to do it. But if you're 10 years old, I'm not going to give you a baby. I'm going to give you what a 10-year-old ought to be doing. 
you realize God just defined the art of parenting? That God said that every one of us is supposed to say, hey, in this moment, in this moment, where should my child be? And I've got to be willing to expose them, allow them to navigate the moments that a 10-year-old ought to navigate. And, and if they're four, then I, I don't I give them 10-year-old stuff. I give them four-year-old stuff. See if this helps. Josh is, was in sixth grade, and he, uh, he came home one afternoon from school, and he said, Dad, my, my teacher is mean. I mean, I, I mean, she is like the wicked witch of the West. She is the, the meanest teacher I've ever had. To which I said, good for your teacher. <laughs> and he said, no, no, Dad. I mean, she's mean. She, she puts the kids down in front of the rest of the kids, and she's really sarcastic, and no one's ever good enough for her. And, and it's not just, it's everybody. She's just mean. So Lisa and I thought, well, you know, we need to go, we need to go check this out. We need to figure out if this is an accurate report from a sixth grader. And we went and met his uh, teacher, and she was mean. She was mean. She was mean to me. And I came home, I said, Josh, you're right, she's mean. And then Lisa and I were left in a moment, we had to say, okay, so, so what do we do with a mean teacher? I mean, is this the moment that we make Josh's world okay again? I mean, do we, do we pull him out of the class and go find him the nice teacher class to go in? I mean, we could do that. And then we thought, you know what? There could be a huge life lesson here. See, doesn't God sometimes leave you and I in less than desirable circumstances because in the midst of that, you and I learn and we said, you realize that Josh has the opportunity here to learn how to still be obedient and under authority of someone who's unfair and harsh. And, and this is going to happen a hundred more times in Josh's life before he's… Somewhere he's going to have a horrible boss, a mean boss, an unfair boss. And somewhere in that moment, he's going to need to say, what, what does it mean for me to be the, under the authority of somebody else who isn't living up to their position, but simply to do what I'm supposed to do because they hold the position? Ready for this? Because there's going to be moments in the life of Josh where I'm going to have to say to Josh, Josh, you need to obey me, not because you like my decision, but because I'm dad. And even if you think I'm making a mistake, I'm still dad, and I still hold the position. And there's going to be moments with mom where you're going to absolutely disagree with mom, and you're like, I like what mom is saying. It doesn't matter because she's mom. And we're going to ask you to go in and honor your teacher, not because she's a great teacher, but because she's your teacher. And Josh, this lesson's going to show up a hundred more times in your life. Now, Get the moment. I was willing to ask Josh to do that because he was in sixth grade. And, and I believed as a parent and as I navigated the moment that he could handle that. I probably would have never asked Josh to do that in third grade. It, it would have overcome him. He, he couldn't have landed in the right place. I don't think he could have navigated it well. But part of what you and I are called to do as parents is to constantly evaluate and then ask our children 
to live that which they are capable of living. I ask 10-year-olds to do what 10-year-olds should do. I ask 5-year-olds to do what 5. So what if at the end of the day, the answer for parenting styles is both? What if the answer is, this is where you and I begin? We, we do with our children. Because the truth is, when they come into our houses, they're small and defenseless. I can't ask a one-year-old to read warning labels on the poison container. So you do isolate. You do put the child's safety. You do make their world safe. But you get that if I stay in this mode, my, my child will never be prepared to handle the storms and the crud of life. They, they, will, they will be isolated and not insulated. And then my goal is to move from there to here in parenting. So that, are you ready for this? So that when they leave my house, they're better than me. Think about it. We do this when we teach a kid how to ride a bike, right? Isn't this the very process of bicycle training? When we start out teaching our kids to ride a bike, you don't put them on some big old honking 10-speed thing. You buy them a trike. Because these things are stable. I mean, they've got three wheels. I don't care how fast you pump your legs. You can't get going fast on this thing. And it's relatively easy to ride. So you start them on trikes. But guys, think, think about it. What if your kid was 15 and still on a trike? So you graduate them. You, you willingly, and sometimes even when they're a little afraid and not, you, you graduate them to next. And you give them something that feels a little bit like a bike and looks a lot like a bike, but you and I know there's training wheels. And then in the midst of the wobbliness and in the midst of the shakiness and a little bit of fear, they're learning. They're getting that much closer to be able to ride on their own. Hey, that is harder than it looks. Okay. <laughs> but you get the goal, right? You get that the goal is the real thing. That you and I aren't done teaching our kids to ride a bike. And you and I aren't done parenting till they can ride this without our help. That's, that's where you and I are supposed to be headed. That, that you and I are supposed to come to a minute of letting go of the seat and watching our child ride on their own. You, you remember that moment in your life? Remember when you were a little kid and the first time you threw your leg over a bike that had no training wheels on it? Remember what you said to dad? Don't let go. Run alongside of me. Stay, don't let go. So you started pedaling. And you said, again, don't let go. And dad said, no, I'm not. I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't let go. I won't. I won't. I'm right here. Don't let go. And all of a sudden, a voice in the distance, I won't. 
Remember that moment when you first realized you were riding a bike on your own? How your heart swelled with pride? Can I tell you, probably didn't compare anything with how your parents felt when they let go. And at the end, isn't, isn't that where you and I are aiming as mom and dad? That someday we let go of the seat and our kids ride off to be better than us.